In the dystopian future of 1997, New York is a boring wasteland, and only one man can traverse it. That's right. For the very first time ever, I watched Escape from New York. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tinted Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. That's right, I finally came up with a tagline. Only four episodes into this shit, and I'm finally getting the hang of it. So yeah, that's right. For this episode, I watched Escape from New York. And I gotta say, for those of you that are tuning in that really enjoy this movie, buckle your seatbelts, because I got a lot of shit to talk about this thing. So I apologize ahead of time, just, you know... Fair warning. Trigger warning, maybe. I don't know. As I've decided, I guess, will be the norm, I'm going to talk a little bit about myself because, you know, ultimately, I think this podcast is an exercise in self-centeredness, I guess, you know? So far, it's just been me talking into a mic, giving my opinions, even though nobody probably wants to hear them. It's just for me. So fuck it. I'm going to talk about me. You should get to know me a little bit better. I got to say, for this episode, I thought maybe I'd kind of... The idea was to switch it up. The first three episodes, and I'm sorry if this does end up airing out of order, but as of right now, this is the fourth episode I've recorded, and the first three episodes were pretty big-time prestige movies, so I thought for this one I'd switch it up. And something about me is I really enjoy schlock movies. I'll watch almost anything, and if anything's like really rooted in genre or has like a fun premise or just even pure action movies, I'll watch almost anything I enjoy. You know, I Scott Adkins is a favorite of mine. I watch literally anything he's in, even though almost every movie he's in is like pure schlock. I get enjoyment out of the fucking Mortal Kombat movie and the Street Fighter movie. I mean, let's say, let's just be honest, though. Raul Julia is fucking amazing. And his, for me, it was Tuesday speech is one of the all time greats. But still, I just thought. Hey, you know, Escape from New York is sitting on your shelf. You haven't watched it because you were thinking, hey, that's a classic movie. You can do it for your show. And finally, I was like, you know, three long ass, all of them being over two hours plus movies into this thing. Let's take like a little bit of a break and let's watch Escape from New York and just get your slock on. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. And uh, it wasn't. It was not. Um, Man, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to lay my cards on the table here real quick. I'm recording this episode on a Saturday afternoon. And so far I've been really good about watching the movie and then recording the episode almost immediately after the worst I've done so far is I watched a movie, slept and then got up the next morning and watched it immediately after for this episode though. Yeah. I watched this on a Wednesday night and by the time I was done with it, I was just kind of done. I was like, I'll just, record this tomorrow and then tomorrow came and i was like yeah i'm tired tonight and then the next day came and i was like yeah i'm tired so here i am on a saturday so this isn't my freshest opinion uh episode that i've done so far but man i thought maybe if i took some time off it and kind of meditated on the movie a little bit maybe i'd be a little less pissy about it because i think I think what it is, is a lot of schlock movies I go into with like really low expectations and then they kind of surprise me. I find something to like about almost every movie I watch, even if it's really crappy. There's just like one little thing that I'm like, eh, I'm glad I watched it because I can take that away from it at least. And I'll dig deep and try to find the things that I enjoyed about this movie. But man, I don't know if it was just my expectations were high because this is considered such a classic by some people or what, but fuck man this this was a slog and i thought i'd spend time this week meditating on it and i really haven't it's just been kind of on a shelf in the back of my mind as i you know move through my menial labor job and all the other bullshit that i have to handle each day (laughs) I, i think the ironic thing is the three movies i did prior to this would have really benefited from me having time to meditate on them and think about what they meant and come into the episode with this like oh man i spent just three days thinking about this movie and now i have all these opinions on it instead i record those fucking right after i'm done and now i'm recording this and i got nothing so but i mean that's where we're at i told you guys i was going to be kind of harsh on this movie and i'm already being kind of harsh on this movie and you're probably wondering what are the specifics i just thought i'd spend this time talking about myself but i really don't have much to say because i can't even like link this movie to 
some of the fun schlock that I really like. I'm going to try to link it to the movie that I recommend at the end because I do. there are some similarities, but boy, oh boy. Let's just get into the movie. Man, I feel like I'm so low energy right now, but <laughs> as soon as I started talking about this movie, I just started getting bummed again. But fuck it, let's get into it. Um, I decided I kind of liked my mess up on the last episode where I did the preconceived notions before I did the summary of the movie because, hey, if for some reason you're tuning in to this show, no, what was my reasoning? I don't remember. I liked it. I like that order better. I'm going to get less in-depth with my preconceived notions and just kind of put them out there for the people that have seen the movie so you can laugh at me. I'll obviously comment on, you know, it a little bit. Why am I explaining it to you? I'm about to do it. Here I go. I'm reaching for my notepad. Oh, yeah, this is exciting. Ruffled paper. Oh, yeah, that's right. My notes for this movie are not very extensive. Escape preconceived notions. I wrote more character. And I'm pretty sure... Oh, huh, that Yes, of course. Uh, the thing that's the biggest uh, thing about me watching this movie is I watched this, I guess, call it a movie series. I, I think it's only the two movies, though, in a back-ass way. Before I watched Escape from New York, I am sad slash proud to admit that I watched Escape from L.A. I watched Escape from L.A. with a buddy of mine on a whim months ago. And so I saw that first before I'd ever seen Escape from New York. I'd never seen Escape from New York. It's not even a movie that I've like caught like a couple seconds of on TV. It's just something I've kind of known existed. We watched Escape from L.A. I was like, that was kind of stupid. And he was like, yeah, it was kind of stupid, schlocky, but whatever. And I was like, yeah, at least Pam Greer was in it. That was nice. Yeah, so... Just know going into this movie, I'd seen Escape from L.A., so I had those expectations. And the reason I wrote more character was I was, was thinking the idea behind that was, well, they don't really es explain Snake Plissken at all in Escape from L.A. They're like, holy shit, it's Snake Plissken. And he's like, yeah, I'm Snake Plissken. I'm going to go do the thing. And I was like, okay, well... I'm sure Escape from New York kind of sets the tone a little bit more. And spoiler alert, it doesn't. It's the same. Something that I was slowly finding out through watching this movie was Escape from L.A. is the exact same movie, only slightly more schlocky and slightly shittier, I guess. It's the same movie. They're, they're the same movie with the... There's like a Mad Libs for escape movies. And they just kind of fill in. It's like, who's kidnapped? Fill in a noun. Uh, what event does Snake compete in to for his life? And they either filled it in with weird fighting boxing match or basketball game. Who's the bad guy? Is he Mexican or is he black? I don't know. Which one are you watching? Oh, it's L.A.? He's Mexican. I think he was Mexican in that. I don't know. Uh, who's the crazy side character that kind of helps him out that he knew from the past? Well, in Escape from L.A., it's Pam Greer, but she's got a man voice, I think. And in this one, it's Harry Dean Stanton, who, R.I.P. I will say, all the trash that I'm going to talk about this movie, the performances are really good. Everyone does a good job in this movie, and he's great. It was fun watching him in this movie. And so just, you know, rest in peace, Harry Dean Stanton. You're the fucking man. My point, though, is that Escape from L.A., it's it's insane how one-to-one -one those movies are. Uh, he doesn't fly a biplane. He flies a... He's on, like, a submarine jet ski this time. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, John Carpenter, what the fuck? You're not even trying. I just don't understand. Like, I, I, I was going to talk about this later, but I just want to say that part of the reason my expectations for this movie were kind of high are obviously, A, people seem to hold it in high regard. It's a cultural touchstone. I mean, everything from the Metal Gear Solid games is literally based on Snake Plissken, this Snake Plissken, this iconic character. And I'm going to say it, he is, I think, the most overrated character in cinema history, I guess. I can't think of anyone that beats him in terms of how infamous he is compared to how just not worth mentioning he is it's insane before the person that was occupying that spot for me was boba fett i had never watched the star the original star wars trilogy until like two years ago which again i'd like to stress the whole point of this show is that i don't watch classic movies i didn't grow up watching them so yeah i don't know if i've mentioned it before but I didn't watch the original Star Wars trilogy until like two years ago. And I've known about Boba Fett, 
my whole life. He's this iconic assassin character that everybody fucking loves. He's great. And you watch the movie, and he's in the movie for all of three seconds, and then he gets knocked into a pit and dies like a bitch. I was like, what the hell? This is insane. Why is he so infamous? I know there's been like spinoffs written about him, and obviously he factors into the prequels somewhat, I guess. But Snake Plissken is just iconic i don't know why i really don't it's i can't wrap my mind around it i'm kind of glad this happened though because i think ultimately watching a movie like this and having this sort of negative reaction to it is the whole point of this show because i didn't grow up watching this movie i can tell that this is the kind of movie that you watch it when you're young and you get this mythos about it built up in your head where you remember watching it and it was cool. There was cool parts of it. And you just kind of, this is a movie where you fill in the blanks yourself later. It's, but the actual movie itself, and I'm here to tell you, having watched it for the very first time as an adult, never having watched it before, it's not good. It's not a good movie. And Snake Plissken is not a good character. And back to my original point, it baffles me because Kurt Russell is amazing. I love Kurt Russell and literally everything else he's ever done. Fucking love him in Tombstone. I love him in Overboard. I love him in The Thing. The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, one of my favorite horror movies of all time, an amazing movie. I just am baffled. I'm baffled why this movie's so terrible. All the people that are in it and behind it, this movie should have been like good. Maybe not great, but good at least. I, I don't understand. I'm so confused. I, I love the original Halloween movie. I just watched that for the first time a little bit ago, and it was great. The messages behind it, the final shots of seeing all the rooms, and uh, I, I don't get it. I, I really don't. And I think part of the reason that Snake Plissken is so iconic is Kurt Russell, because as little as he's given to do in this movie, he's still great because he's Kurt Russell. There's probably not a ton of people that could have pulled that off, but holy crap, man. Uh, <sighs> I, I honestly just don't know what to say. Uh, speaking of Kurt Russell, I'm a huge Tarantino fan, and... Fucking Hateful Eight, and you got, I always forget the name of the movie, Death Proof. Like, I think people, from what I can tell, people seem to put Death Proof and Jackie Brown towards the bottom of their Tarantino pantheon, but A, that's not saying much because every movie Tarantino's ever made is good. And B, I think Death Proof gets a, gets a weird shaft sometimes because it's great, and Kurt Russell in that movie is amazing. He's so good. His character introduction where he's eating the nachos and it's all nasty and gross. And you're like, what the fuck? I just, I don't know. I adore that movie. Again, that goes back to though, I love Grindhouse. I love Schlock. And I guess maybe I thought this movie was more of that. And it's just really not. I don't even really know how to classify this movie. I think I'm going to put a check mark in that because there's a whole rant I want to do about what this movie actually is genre wise that I want to talk about later. It's not for the preconceived notions part, but I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm i just at a loss. I wrote that this was better than L.A. I wrote that because as far as I know, this movie's more well-regarded than Escape from L.A. Having watched both now, I don't really know what to say. I guess Escape from New York is a more serious movie, but I don't think it should have been. L.A. is so much schlockier to the point where I'm almost like, I think that might be the better film. I don't know. It's hard for me to say. I guess I'd have to watch both again, but Escape from New York is so boring. But the character actors in the movie, I think, might be a little bit better. So it's, it's hard to say, but L.A. leans into the schlock a little bit more, which you have to appreciate. Honestly, the biggest knock for me in that movie is and the thing that I remember the most vividly about Escape from L.A. is the scene where he has to make uh, baskets which it's so stupid. The basketball thing comes out of nowhere and it's really, really dumb. And it, in a movie full of dumb shit, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And that's a really big knock against that movie for me. Although I have a feeling that that might've been, no, I'm not even going to talk about that. I was going to talk about Rick and Morty, but there's no point in talking about that. There's an episode where they have to shoot baskets and I'm starting to wonder if that was an homage to Escape from LA, but that's neither here nor there. But my preconceived notion was that this movie was better than Escape from LA. And honestly, I'm not sure that's the case. I really don't know. It's hard for me to say. They both aren't great movies. Uh, sorry. I wrote that Snake Plissken has to rescue somebody. And obviously in LA, he 
has to rescue the president's daughter. And in this movie, it's the president. I didn't know who he was supposed to rescue. And it turns out it was the president. And I was like, okay, cool. Which, by the way, the president in this movie is played by Donald Pleasance, who is the person who elevates every Halloween movie just by purely being in them because he's so good. And it's funny because over the course of these like three days, it's taken me to finally sit down and record this episode. I, I read a couple reviews, which I never do for this show. I always go in blind and then I record basically blind because I don't want my opinion to be influenced. But I was just baffled by the time the credits rolled on this one as to why this movie is well-regarded. I don't put any stock in Rotten Tomatoes at all. I think it's a worthless website. The either positive or negative review, it's a deeply flawed system. But if you look that up online, this movie's got like, I think like an 86 fresh score, which is insane to me. And like every review would randomly pick out Donald Pleasance as like the weak point of the movie, which is crazy. I, I don't understand that at all. I think he's pretty good in this movie. Uh, he does the best with what he's given to do just like everybody else so i i don't understand carpenter i already talked about carpenter cleveland that's the last preconceived notion and i don't really know what to say about it because i remember hearing something about cleveland being a factor in this movie and i don't know if i missed it because i was like so zoned out by the end of this but i don't remember them mentioning cleveland at all they kept mentioning leningrad that was like the go-to Leningrad. Oh, you remember Leningrad? I met you in Leningrad. You were in the war. Blah, blah, blah. I thought Cleveland was a thing. Is Cleveland a thing in LA? Am I crazy? Do they mention Cleveland at all in this movie? I just, I went in thinking Cleveland was a thing and I, it was not as far as I know. So that was a notion that went completely unchecked. God. This movie... Well, now, on to the summary for this movie. Let's see. The movie takes place in a dystopian future. It was shot in 1981, but it's set in 1997, so far enough ahead of the time that it was actually shot to supposedly, presumably, say that the world has completely gone to shit, and now all of New York, or at least Manhattan Island, seems to be a prison for people. They've just turned an entire city into a prison. And the world has gone to shit. We don't really see anything but an army base outside of New York and then New York itself. So I have no idea what the entire world looks like. But hey, you know, whatever. The president gets kidnapped, taken into the prison. And for some reason, the only man that can get the job done is Snake Plissken, who we're told in a long exposition scene is good at war stuff and infiltration. So he goes in, and uh, before he goes in, they inject him with these things in his neck that are going to explode in an, uh, a day if he doesn't come back to get him taken out in time. So he goes in to get the president and the tape that the president has. He walks around the city a lot, and then a, some stuff happens. None of it really that particularly interesting. He eventually gets out with the president in a nick of time, of course. And then, because he's mad at the president, sabotages his uh, presentation of the nuclear tape that they were going to show off. And then he walks off, and the movie ends. And that's basically the movie. It's called Escape from New York. He goes in, and then he escapes New York. And it's all right there in the title. Can you tell I'm super excited about this movie? I don't know. I'm sorry. But I'm being a little sarcastic. But, I mean, that is the plot of the movie. He goes in. He meets some characters. Some of them are interesting. Some of them are not. And then he gets the president and he escapes. Uh, it's, that's, that's what happens. So, yeah. <sighs> anyway, let's get on to the summary of the movie. Or not the summary. I just did the summary. Let's get on to the review of the movie. Yeah, the review of the movie. Let's go to the notes. All right. Like I always do. When the opening credits are rolling, I just start writing down names that I recognize. And I wrote down Ernest Borgnine and Donald Pleasance. I was excited to see Donald Pleasance's name because, as I mentioned before, I think he's really great in the Halloween movies. So I was excited to see his name. It took me a second to realize he was the president. I'm not throwing shade at Donald Pleasance here, but I don't know if it's because he's always wearing a trench coat in the Halloween movies or something. But he looked kind of fucking fat. In this movie, it took me a second to realize he was the president. I was like, hey, is, I haven't seen Donald Pleasance yet. And then finally I was like, oh, that's Donald Pleasance. That sure is not flattering. But yeah, I was excited to see him. 
I recognized the name Ernest Borgnine, and I finally, by the end of the movie, realized who it was, the cabbie character. I gotta say, and I, and I did a bunch of Googling afterwards because I was like, surely I'm not just making this comparison because they're both just old, weird-looking white men, but I think I was. Uh, when the cabbie first showed up, I thought it was Peter Falk. As I mentioned before, I really like Scott Atkins, and me and my friend did a deep dive on the Undisputed movie series, and Peter Falk is in... The first Undisputed movie, the one that doesn't have Scott Atkins, the one that's uh, Ving Rhames and Wesley Snipes, which the whole series is a trip if you if you go and watch it. I, I highly recommend it. They're a lot of fun. But the first movie is a pure boxing prison movie, and then it just becomes a completely different movie by the sequel. That's neither here nor there, but I'd seen Peter Falk in that movie. And for some reason, I thought when Ernest Borgnine showed up in this movie, I was like, hey, it's Peter Falk. Cool. I'm excited. And I was like... <sighs> I'm not sure if this is Peter Falk or not. Uh, and finally, by the end of it, I was like, no, that's who Ernest Borgnine is. And I was like, oh, that's Ernest Borgnine. I don't know. There's these names that like ring bells, especially if they're like interesting, you know? Like, Ernest Borgnine is an interesting name. And chances are I'm pronouncing it wrong because I didn't actually write the whole name down. So I'm going to sound like a complete asshole. But it is what it is. I, I, I was like, the caddy character, that's Peter Falk. And then finally I figured out it was Ernest Borgnine. So I don't know why I wrote that down as a note, but I did. Uh, I clocked the exposition scene. Something I will say, this movie opens with the classic, there's text on the screen and they show you like a map and they kind of explain, in 1988, this happened and blah, 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 blah. And the world became shit and burn. I think it's like a lady computer voice in this one. And I, and I gotta say, I actually don't mind that very much. I feel like people that teach storytelling and stuff, they always try to tell you that don't take those kind of shortcuts, show, don't tell. But the fact of the matter is, if you watch a movie, the first minute, it's kind of free. You get to just, if you have this ridiculous world that you need to build, just, you can put it out there. People aren't going to remember it 30 minutes into the movie, but they're going to have all the information they need to set up the world. I don't think it's the greatest trope. And if you can get around using it, all the better but i went and watched war for the planet of the apes which i loved and that movie opens with a freaking text crawl it's like hey here's the world especially if you haven't seen the other two movies which you probably should have but just in case you haven't we're setting up the world with a big text crawl and i remember thinking at the time i was like this is totally fine i'm totally okay with this now i have all the information that i need to the point where i didn't even know when that movie was supposed to be set and it was like five years after this and i was like cool i know exactly when this takes place now I have a very clear understanding without someone... Because, I mean, I'm sure there's clever ways to do it, but short of a monkey walking up to Caesar and being like, Caesar, it's been like five years since the dawn of the planet of the apes. What's going on now? Like, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Just do the text crawl. I know I'm knocking this movie, but I think it is... I just wanted to make the point. I don't have a problem with the text crawl. I got where we were in the world. We're not wasting time here. Manhattan is a prison and the world has gone to shit supposedly. And we'll never know why, but yeah, that's where we're at. It was fine. I didn't have a big problem with it. I found it interesting that sometimes movies like this, like the first scene is obviously not a snake scene. If you've seen it, which hopefully you have, if you listen to this episode, once again, I, I do want to stop and say probably like what a fucking half hour into this episode. If you go to, Listen to one of my episodes. I highly recommend that if you haven't seen this movie, maybe go and watch it before you listen to this episode because there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to make you want to watch it as my stupid opinions are worthless. Hopefully, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess I'm just being self-deprecating. The point is, to get the most bang out of this podcast, if you haven't watched it and you're like me, you missed out on this movie, go watch it. Fuck it. But then again kind of contradicts the case when this movie isn't very good and i don't even know if i would ever recommend it to people to watch because it, it was really funny i i posted that i was going to watch this movie and a lot of people that i knew were like oh cool and as soon as it was i was done watching it i was like so i watched escape from new york and they were like yeah what'd you think and i i said it was fucking terrible and i had a bunch of people be like yeah we didn't want to tell you but it's pretty bad, actually. I was like, what the fuck? Why didn't you tell me? I went full Jim Gaffigan for a second. Just, why is he doing that? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't they tell me that the movie was terrible? But they were nice enough not to color my expectations. Especially, I, I think most people that know me know I like schlock. So there's a 
probably a good chance I'd go into this movie and really enjoy it. I don't know why I got off on this tangent. God damn it. I'm a fucking mess this episode. This is horrible. Uh, oh, that's right. I keep having to pick up my notes to remind myself what I'm doing. The point was, th- this movie opens not with Snake. Exposition, and then you go to the army base, and you meet the army general guy, and... This whole scene happens. The president gets kidnapped and stuff is going on. In movies like this, I found myself thinking that Snake hadn't shown up in the first five minutes. Like, our first scene wasn't with Snake. And I started being getting into the mindset that I bet we don't even see Snake for like 30 minutes. But that's not true. He does show up. I, I noted it. I paused it when he finally showed up. Eight minutes into the movie, including the opening credits and all that good stuff. Eight minutes in, Snake shows up. So credit to the movie. The main character does show up in the first 10 minutes, which is nice. There's a ton of movies that the main guy that you're going to follow doesn't even show up until 20 minutes in. Not thinking of any examples off the top of my head, but it wouldn't have surprised me the way the movie was starting out. But he does show up, but then he disappears again. He shows up. He's walking through. You get a nice sequence where there's this voiceover that says, Hey, if you'd like to be turned into a pile of ash before you get sent to prison, check in with your guard. They can take care of that for you, which I thought was great. That's the thing about this movie. There's a part of it I get why this movie is popular because there's a ton of really nice touches to this movie. There's nice details that paint a world for you. Stuff like that where, hey, you're about to go into this horrible city that's just a prison and you're never going to get out because if you go there, you're sentenced for life. Maybe you'd like to be killed before you go there. That's an option we have here. And also no smoking. That was great. That was a nice touch. That got me kind of excited. I was like, I really like that touch. That's fun. And there's little things like that throughout this movie that really paint a picture if you're paying attention. And I get, I get why people latch onto this movie. There's stuff to latch onto. The world is interesting in a way. And that's what I said before about filling in the blanks yourself, because there's this sort of borderline outline of a picture. And it kind of leaves it up to the audience to to color it in however they want. And there's something enjoyable about that. I, I think there's a lot of things from our childhood that we remember fondly. And the stuff that we play. When I was a kid, I'd play Power Rangers all the time with my friends. We would fight and stuff. And if you go back and watch the original Power Rangers, it's, I mean, it's not great. Uh, half the show is just recycled footage from a Japanese show. But... It inspired imagination, and I, that's that's the thing. I get why this movie might have become such a cult classic, because people probably remember it finally the same way I remember Power Rangers, the same way maybe people that were younger than me, if you were a 10-year-old in 1981 or a 12-year-old when you saw Escape from New York, that's the kind of world that you could play in. Post-apocalypse stuff is still popular to this day, and I get, I get the... I get the fascination. I get the allure of it. I understand why it's popular, but the movie itself is still not good. But little touches like that, it, it kind of thinking back on it makes me realize why this movie is popular with some people. But at the same time, it's just not enough because the vast majority of this movie is just Snake Plissken walking around to John Carpenter score. Some of it very inappropriate at times, I must say. Uh... <laughs> But he does show up, but then he disappears again while they go off. And I, I think I think he sh- they show him walking down the line. And, and this movie's a, a fucking blur at this point. But they show him walking down the line. And then the army guy, I think, goes on a rescue mission and tries to get the president back. And you get that really creepy Billy Idol-looking mohawk motherfucker that shows up and says, Hey, here's the president's finger, and you're not going to get him back. And so the guy flies back. And then you finally get scene where they bring snake into the office and he sits down with him and it's just an exposition dump you're snake pluskin you were in the war blah 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 there's just not a whole lot that happens in that scene that's great it's it's like pure exposition dump and and they set up what i apparently is the big payoff line pluskin 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 and finally kurt russell says call me snake or he whispers it, I guess. He whispers like this entire movie. I know Kurt Russell's famous for almost every movie. He does supposedly like an impression of somebody. I, I think the impression that people say he's been doing, he does in this movie is Clint Eastwood, I think. Like classic Clint Eastwood. But it's hard for me to say because, not to tip my 
hand too much, but I haven't seen a lot of classic Clint Eastwood movies. They're on my list. The the Dollars trilogy or whatever people call it, The Man with No Name. I haven't seen Unforgiven. I haven't seen any classic Eastwood, so supposedly that's the impression that he's doing, but I don't know. It's not great, I don't think. I mean, maybe the impression is good, but it doesn't really serve the movie very much. He's just whispery and shitty the whole movie and doesn't seem to give a fuck. Lights up a cigarette and says, why should I do this? And the guy's like, basically, you have no choice. And he's like, well, I guess I have no choice. But he says all that Puskin stuff. And he says, call me Snake, which is a foreshadowing to the big moment at the end where the guy says, join me, Snake. And Snake says, call me Puskin, which is the worst payoff for a line I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, <laughs> I remember Googling after the movie ended. I was wondering when RoboCop came out compared to this movie. Spoilers, I have actually seen RoboCop, and it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Fight me, I guess. Uh, or don't. Just agree with me that it's one of the greatest movies ever made. But the ending of that movie is someone... He turns, they ask him what his name is, and he says Murphy. And it's the great summation of this character arc a guy that was turned into a robot that slowly regains his humanity and i found myself being like surely this has to be some sort of ripoff of robocop but no this movie came out six years before robocop ever came out so i have no fucking clue what that line is a nod to because it's not set up in the movie the snake Pluskin duality doesn't mean anything and it's never acknowledged within the context of the movie it's just really fucking stupid I mentioned that because I just remember being pissed off when it happened. When he says, call me Pliskin, and he walks away. I was like, why? Why? It doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. What the fuck? Oh, God. And by, at this point, obviously, I was kind of pissed because the whole movie had sucked. And I was just so done when that happened. I don't know. Again, I apologize if you really love this movie. I never want to take away enjoyment from anyone. If you enjoy this movie, fucking enjoy the fuck out of this movie. Go play Wasteland Warriors with your friends, jail Wasteland Warriors, and just enjoy yourself. Don't let me take the piss out of it. But for me, personally, that line sucked. And I stand by saying that it sucked because it was fucking terrible. Something else that was a little bit of a bummer. Uh, <laughs> uh, Snake Buskin's big plan to infiltrate the uh, New York was to land on the World Trade Centers. So that was... A little rough. It's always fascinating because the World Trade Center thing happened when I was 11 years old. Of course, it's one of those things where everyone remembers where they were. I was in fifth grade. I got sent home from school that day. And I remember watching on the TV everything go down. And my dad was just in shock. And I had no real understanding of what we were watching. And it sticks out culturally in my head. It's one of the biggest cultural touchstones that it has occurred in my life. And it's always a little jolting when they mention the World Trade Center in movies that happened before 2001. It was just something I noticed. Obviously, people that watched it prior to 2001 had no any strong feelings towards that stuff. But I never really knew. I'm always curious, and I've never really done the research, just how much in the lexicon the World Trade Centers were. Were, were those big? Were they really these huge monuments that were world famous? I'm not sure. Uh, it was just interesting to see it mentioned, and I just remember thinking, like, uh, bummer. <laughs> There's parts of this movie that were a real bummer to watch after the fact. You got the Harry Dean Stanton thing, and then you got the World Trade Center. It's like, fuck, this movie's really dredging up a lot of bad shit for this day and age. But, I mean, obviously the movie didn't know it at the time. But I, I will say uh, they they do the big exposition dump, and then they take Snake into the doctor's office slash laboratory thing. And they put the charges in his neck. And I want to point out, the kid, I say kid, the guy's probably older than I am. We did the movie, but the guy that plays the doctor that puts the chargers in Snake's neck, I I want to single out his performance because he I, I don't imagine people really remember him because he's not he's only in two scenes in the entire movie, but he I thought he did a really good job actually. He when Snake first shows up, he seems kind of nervous, and I was like, this guy seems kind of nervous. And I had rem I remembered L.A. because in L.A. I think they inject him with a fake virus that they say is going to kill him. And then he finds out that it never really was. It just gave him flu-like symptoms. And so I assumed there was going to be something that happened similar to this. 
And so the, he walks in and doctor's kind of like skittish. They're like, oh, we're just going to plant like a tracking device in you. And I just remember being like, bullshit. And sure enough, they implant the things. And as soon as he does it, the doctor's like, tell him. I was like, who is this doctor guy? He's so righteous. He doesn't want to be complicit in this, but he feels forced to. I don't know. And, and then he shows up at the end and he seems legitimately concerned about Snake and wants to save him. I just like that guy. I thought he was great. I just wanted to mention that as a side note. But I do, it's kind of hammy, but at the same time, I think they kind of get away with it with the charges. They say, oh, there's these capsules in your neck and they're going to slowly dissolve and we can't actually turn the explosive off with an x-ray until they completely dissolve about 15 minutes uh, after about, you know, there's 24 hours and then 15 minutes before they're about to explode, we can we can neutralize them. It's really overly complicated and stupid and probably something that could never actually be created in real life. But I thought it was, they get it over quickly and it's done in a scene that's actually kind of interesting. That I, I just enjoyed the setup of that. I was like, this is really jumping through a lot of hoops to put the constraints on this movie. But it, it worked for me in a way. I just remember liking it. I kind of like the flu thing in LA as well. They do a pretty good job with injecting with Snake with something to make him have to do what they want to the point where he has to come back to them because they're the only ones that can save him. I think it puts a good stakes on the movie. So I'm not complaining too much about that. It, it was silly, but it worked for me. I thought it was fine. I just remember writing down that, oh, I like the charges thing. I got a little concerned because I realized I'm only like 15 minutes into this movie and I feel like this episode's already run long, which is funny because I was kind of putting off recording this podcast because I didn't even know what the hell I would have to say about it. I was worried about this episode being super short and I feel like I'm going long. But then I remembered nothing happens in this movie. So all the explanation is in the setup. So I don't know. He goes in, he's in the biplane, he infiltrates, he goes through the World Trade Center, which is all graffitied up. Again, I, I don't fault this movie for the world building. It's interesting. The place that it, the setting, I mean, is what I'm trying to say. The the graffiti inside the World Trade Center. There, I'm sure there's little fun Easter eggs if you like really look at the walls and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is, there's something I noticed about this movie. And part of it was because on TV, there, there was this movie that was just on like an HBO channel called, I think it was called Garm Wars, and then colon something, something, something. And it was this low-budget, possibly foreign film. that It was a fantasy sci-fi movie. And I watched it for all of 15 minutes. And I remember there's huge chunks in the movie, just in the part that I watched, where the main character is just with people, and they're just walking through the forest, just trudging through the forest. Wide shot, character enters, they're walking through some pretty trees, and the trees look pretty. The world looks interesting, but there's something in sci-fi and fantasy movies. That there's this trope, right, where the characters just kind of walk through stuff. There's sweeping shots or wide shots, and I'm walking through a forest. And I love the Lord of the Rings movies, don't get me wrong, but uh, we're walking up a mountain. And there's just huge chunks of the movie just devoted to walking around and it's the same thing in escape from new york there's these overly long shots of snake plissken just walking through environments climbing over walls oh here's the plane i'm gonna slowly walk towards it and you're gonna watch the entire sequence of me walking from enter frame i walk towards the plane i walk up to the plane i walk past the plane i slowly get out my radio and the thing about it, I think the reason that it stuck out so significantly to me in this movie was the three movies I watched before this were Godfather, Godfather 2, and Chinatown. Those movies, for as long as they are, I don't think they waste a fucking frame of film in that movie. Everything serves a purpose. Every scene has multiple things going on, multiple things they're trying to accomplish, multiple points. And this movie just has sequence after sequence of Kurt Russell just walking around, walking past some fire, walking past some graffiti. It just, I don't know if it's just the order that I watch these movies in or what, but it stuck out like a sore thumb and it was brutal. It was fucking brutal. I mean, this movie, I think could have been, I remember looking at the, I, I told, I've said before, the only thing I look at before I watch these movies is the runtime. This movie is 96 minutes long. This movie could have been 70 minutes easily it's insane because nothing fucking happens there's not even scenes that are memorable i at least thought hey this will be like a, a schlocky action movie because i've also seen big trouble in little china there's fun kung fu and all sorts of crazy shit that happens in that movie 
And there's like, there's not even action in this movie. There's barely any gunfire. There's like two fist fights, not including the, the ring fight that he has. Uh, no, nothing happens. And there's no memorable set pieces. The part where he's getting chased and he kind of backs through some cars. It's insane how little happens in this movie. I figured that at least connecting the tissue, obviously there's parts where he walks around. It's the dystopian in New York. You get a feel for the world, which is fine. It's world building. That's the thing. The reason that these fantasy movies and these sci-fi movies have these scenes where the characters are just walking around is because that's the nature of that genre. Those genres more than any other genre are about world building. You read a sci-fi book, you're kind of interested in this is a world that's different from our world. In what ways is it different? You know, you watch Leviathan Wakes. It got turned into a show called The Expanse in the books. And they spend huge amounts of time in the book explaining the nature of the station that they build out in, out in outer space. It's between Mars and Earth. It belongs to just space people. There's a whole language that's grown up. And that's kind of what you go into sci-fi for. And the same thing with fantasy. What's different about this world? It's medieval, but there's dragons and there's magic. And I want to know, we exist on this weird continent that has a mountain over here, but then there's an ocean over here and there's a beachfront, but then there's a whole lake of lava right in the middle. You don't go there because that's where the evil guy lives. That's fun. And I get it. And I think this movie more than anything else is inherently a sci-fi movie as much as I guess I was hoping it was more of an action movie with slight sci-fi elements. So I get it. I get the world building thing, but sometimes it just doesn't translate very well to film. I think it's the kind of thing that I bet you escape from New York. The book would be a pretty great read. I would read the fuck out of that book because you would get to be inside snake's head and you would understand what he's thinking as he's walking around. He'd be having little mental flashbacks to when he was in Leningrad and shit like that. It'd be good, but it just doesn't play well on film, I think. And that's the problem. You know, I wish there was more fantasy movies. I, fantasy movies just aren't that popular in cinema. And it, it really bums me out. But I understand why. It doesn't translate that well visually because it's all about world building and shit. And it's hard. And I think that's part of why this movie doesn't work that well. I, I get why it's so inspirational. It's cool. This dystopian New York. And you want to rebel against the government. There's like slight undertones of the shitty government that's trying to control our lives and we're going to fight against it and stuff like that. And I get why that's appealing, but I just don't think it translates very well, honestly. And I'm sorry, but anyway, to get back into the movie, speaking of personal biases, I got really excited. He, uh, he being Kurt Russell slash Snake Plissken, he's wandering around the streets and all these guys start emerging from the sewers and he ducks into this building and he meets this, uh, this lady with a mohawk. And I was like, oh, she looks cool. I'm interested in what, what her deal is. Like, Something about me is I'm very biased. I Every script I write, with very rare exception, I have a female protagonist. I like female characters in, in my movies. I want them to be the protagonist. Sometimes I populate the entire film with them. And so a movie that has a good female character, I'm sort of predisposed to like it. Even if it's just because you don't, I just feel like you don't see it as much. I mean, two examples, and I'm really putting myself out on a limb here because it's, these are two movies that are not particularly well regarded. But I recently, just because they were on HBO or Showtime or whatever, Warcraft I watched recently and Gods of Egypt I watched recently. Two movies that were kind of dumped on, forgotten. Uh, Warcraft did well in China because of all that nonsense, but... I watched them, and I gotta say, I didn't think they were that bad. And part of it was because both movies had interesting female characters that were doing shit. Warcraft has this awesome orc uh, character who, she's part of the war at the end. And oh man, I don't want seriously. Warcraft is actually not that bad. The thing with it, the thing with me is, bad CG doesn't bother me that much. And Warcraft and Gods of Egypt have it in spades to the point where the, the amount of money that was dumped into them, I don't understand why their CG is so bad. Warcraft, not as much. Uh, the main characters, I think, are actually rendered really well. It's just kind of some of the side stuff looks silly. Gods of Egypt, the CGI is abysmal. It's unforgivable. My point is they still had both movies actually had interesting female characters that I liked. And I was kind of surprised i found myself thinking that these these aren't that bad and i enjoy them and i'm an advocate for both movies gods of egypt is certainly not a hill i'm willing to die on but i think i'd stick up for warcraft a little bit more again i mentioned the lack of fantasy movies in today's current cinema movie culture i think i'm so starved for stuff like that i'm kind of 
predisposed to like that kind of stuff, but it's not bad. It's worth checking out. If you if you skipped it because you heard it was stupid, I, I actually say give it, give it a shot. You might be kind of surprised. All of that is to say Snake Puskin walks into this room, and there's this cool-looking chick. She's got a badass mohawk. She bums a cig off him, and I'm like, oh, man, okay, cool. He meets a interesting lady early on. They're going to team up, and I, I, at this point, the movie had been kind of dragging a little bit, and I was kind of starting to check out, and then I started to check back in because I was like, cool, he's going to team up with her, and I'm going to kind of enjoy that. And then she just, <laughs> hole opens up. She gets pulled through the hole by these whatever they call them, the crazies or something stupid like that. And I just remember being like, what the fuck? No. And they pull her down and I'd have to watch the movie again. But when I was watching it, it seemed like Kurt Russell was sort of helping shove her down the hole. I remember being like, what the fuck? He's not even going to, oh God, she gets sucked away and then you just never see her again. And I was like, I, I think that was like the major turning point for me in this movie where I got really hopeful for a second and the movie literally dragged away the last shred of hope I had for the movie. And I, I was just so bummed out by that point. And I got my hopes up a little bit again when the Isaac Hayes character finally shows up. I, what's he called? The Duke? The Duke or something like that. I, I gotta say, I really do enjoy his chandelier car. I thought that was a nice touch. Again, nice touches on this movie. Nice little subtle, fun world building things this movie has it in spades i'm not going to take it away from it but drives around i don't know kurt russell finally hooks up with the brain harry dean stanton and uh maggie who again gave me a little bit of hope for a good female character she was fine she didn't really have a whole lot to do for some reason kurt russell knows who harry dean stanton is they offhandedly mentioned that he i think he abandoned kurt russell but it's just told in exposition and i don't know why it matters and also like fucks with the timeline a little bit because then you find out that the brain's only been in prison for like four years but somehow he's worked his way up into this he's the guy that creates our gasoline and he's really important i was like really man he must be super duper smart to have somehow magically become the guy in this entire city the only one that the brain he's the brain everyone knows who the brain is i was like okay and something else to note, because this becomes a factor late in the movie, apparently Maggie loves the brain so much to the point where she's willing to fucking sacrifice her life over the grief of losing him. I didn't get that at all. It seemed like they were setting up a Kurt Russell-Maggie sort of relationship. At least that seemed like what it was driving at to me. So at the end of the movie was baffling when that happened, but I don't know what to say. Um, they do the best they can. I like both the characters a lot. I thought Harry Dean Stanton was great. I, I love the wardrobe in this movie. They do a really good job at that. I love his coat. I love her outfit. I, I love the hair, the 80s, the early 80s. Oh, man. <laughs> I love the wardrobe, but I have to say, and I've said before, I love the look of 70s and 80s movies. In this movie, and this is another thing, I'm sorry, I didn't keep it super pure. I've done a little research trying to figure out why this movie's popular. The director of cinematography for this movie is Dean Cundey. I'm at a loss. I don't know why, because his credits, if you look at what he's done, he's done a lot of good movies. He was the he was the DP for, for Jurassic Park and The Thing, another John Carpenter movie. This movie looks like shit. It looks like fucking dog shit. The framing of almost every shot is not great. It's all just wides and close-ups of a watch counting down and just just wide shots kurt russell bumbles around the environment climbs over walls and shit it, it doesn't look good at all and i don't know why because I, I can't blame it on dean cundy because if you look at his list of credits the guy's clearly talented and i don't know i can't really blame it on john carpenter i guess because in my head i'm thinking maybe 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 i'll have to do like a spinoff show where i go back and watch movies that I used to love and try to give my fresh opinions on them or something. Cause I remember loving the thing. And in my head, that movie looks great. It's the same team. Why does the thing look good in my head? But having watched escape from New York, why does it look like dog shit? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. I, I got to put this one on, on Carpenter, I guess. Cause I don't think it's Cundy's fault. Anyway, to fast forward to the end of this movie, a bunch of stuff happens. Kurt Russell gets caught by the bad guy. He has to fight a guy in a ring. It's a really boring, shittily shot fight. It's all wides 
with random cuts. The choreography is terrible. Eventually, Kurt Russell beats the guy, the guy who supposedly, I mean, I'm led to believe that this is probably their champion warrior. Kurt Russell doesn't do anything in the fight. Also, he's injured in the fight because he was shot in an arrow with, with an arrow before it happened. So he's got like a limp thing going on. Uh, and he just kind of dodges around and finally hits the guy in the back of the head and kills him. And it's like, oh, shit, Kurt Russell beat our champion. I, I don't know what to say. Uh, a bunch of stuff goes down. Harry Dean Stanton tries to make his escape. Kurt Russell makes his escape. The Billy Idol guy gets killed by... Psh, I don't even remember who kills him. This movie's so, I was so nodding off by this point. A bunch of stuff happens. Cabby shows up for some reason and picks them up. Kurt Russell's like, oh no, I didn't get the tape. And then Ernest Borgnine's like, oh, you mean this tape? And I was, I just remember being like, really? This is what we're doing? What was the, the script getting too long? And, and you decided that, oh man, he hasn't gotten the tape yet. Oh, but it, it's not even that because it was set up because the Billy Idol character traded Cabby something for his hat. So he got the tape off of Donald Pleasance at one point. It's so weird. It doesn't make any sense. There's no, there's technically a setup for why the cabbie has the tape, but there's no reason for him to have a tape. And it's a dumb payoff. It's, it's so silly. It's, it's just so silly. And then they try to make their escape and they're just driving through this bridge, which this bridge, mind you, the entire movie, they've been talking about this bridge. It's so filled with mines that it's impossible to traverse. And they just drive through it almost like it's nothing. And there's there's no route because there's cars blocking every other side, like fucking traffic cones that you have to drive around. So the the route isn't even optional. You have this one way you can drive, and they're still acting like, oh, he's dodge. Oh, you got to turn left. You got to turn right. It's so dumb. This, this was a big bridge they were going to traverse with their big plans, their big blueprint to where all the mines were. They just drive down it. Finally, they get hit by a mine over the course of going to the wall. Everybody that Kurt Russell was hanging out with, except for the president, gets knocked off. Maggie, by choice, apparently, because she's so distraught over Harry Dean Stanton dying that she's just going to stand there, sacrifice her life, shooting at Isaac Hayes, gets run over for no reason, really. It doesn't even take out Isaac Hayes because he still chases Kurt Russell down and shoots at them. Donald Pleasant shoots him down. Kurt Russell gets lifted out. He gets saved. And then Donald Pleasant is kind of a jerk, and Kurt Russell's, for some reason, he has this line about, you know how many lives were lost trying to save you? And Donald Pleasance is like, cool, man. That's nice. I got a thing to do. And Kurt Russell's like, grr. And you find out he switched the tapes at the end of the movie. He does his whole, it's not Plisk, it's not Snake, it's Plisk. And he walks off. They play the wrong tape. And I guess it's supposed to be this moment of Kurt Russell really showed them. But it's it's so lackluster and shitty. I, I just, uh, God, I... I don't know. It just, and I know part of it's, I didn't grow up with this movie and I kind of watched it and I didn't feel like I was in a bad mood going into it. I know mood can really affect how you feel about a movie, but just the, all the setups that were paid off just weren't gratifying in any way. There was nothing memorable that happened in this movie. This movie felt like, and I know, I know it was 1981, but surely this movie had more money behind it than Halloween. Yeah. Halloween still feels like more care was taken into shooting it it looks better it has more of a message i mean there's famous stories about halloween because they shot it in california to the point where you can even see palm trees in the background even though it's supposed to take place in wherever the fuck it's supposed to take place ohio or connecticut or some shit i don't remember but the, it wasn't fall so they had a bag of leaves that they would scatter around to make it look like fall and this movie it was just and i love the hollywood stuff and i love the grittiness of 70s and stuff but these sets they looked like sets and it was bad it was really bad i just i'm surprised it felt so phoned in and it, and the carpenter score was i like john carpenter but some of it was just so weirdly placed at times there's a, there's a part where they just straight up play the halloween score at one point i remember i wrote that down uh, halloween because I, I have lady mohawk note and then i wrote halloween theme and i think it was when they, I think when they were driving to meet the brain, maybe, was when they play it. They're just driving down the street, and it plays the Halloween theme suddenly. It's misplaced. Like, I would love, I'd be totally, I actually listened to the soundtrack uh, a couple times after I finished this movie, and I like the soundtrack fine, but some of it's just weirdly misplaced, and 
I, I like Carpenter's score, but it just doesn't come together as a movie. It's boring. It's a slog. It's a lot of Kurt Russell just walking around. There's no character development that happens whatsoever. There's no character arc. All the setups are paid off in really dumb ways. It's bad. It's it's a bad movie. I don't begrudge anyone that grew up watching it and enjoyed it, and it kind of served as this fun thing that you were able to take elements from and incorporate into other stuff. I get it. I get I get the impulse, but I'm sorry. This movie's terrible. I had a terrible ending, and uh, that's my score. Just. But in all seriousness, I should probably get to the point where I give my score for this movie. Again, I'd like to stress the criteria of this show. I don't score movies just purely based on this compared to any other movie. I'm scoring it on a bit of a harsher uh, curve. For example, I gave the original Godfather movie an 8.5. And all of that is to say this movie is not going to get a nice score. Uh, maybe it w- probably wouldn't even get a nice score if I was comparing it to any other movie. But for the purpose of this show, I got a. I wrestled with this one. I wasn't sure how low to go with it because over the course of this, I will be stretching the definition of classic to an extreme. I'm sure I'll be watching cult classics, things, movies that inspired movies, stuff like that. And again, I think this movie is the definition of a cult classic. I, I, I don't know if it did well when it first came out. It's in the cultural lexicon enough that I felt confident that this is a movie that it wouldn't be insane to cover for the purpose of this show and it was not good i didn't enjoy watching it i was really bummed out by the time i finished it over the course of these three days just kind of meditating on it a little bit as little as i did i just haven't dug anything worthwhile up after having thought about it for a while and it's it's not good i think i i'm not gonna go as far as to give it a one because chances are i'll eventually watch something worse than this but i'll tell you what i'm gonna give it this movie escape from new york I'm going to give a 3 out of 10. That's my rating for this movie. It's not good. The performances were fine. The world building was okay. But it was a fucking slog to get through. Just felt like I wasted my time watching it. And it was a real bummer. It was a bummer. It doesn't even come close to the brilliance of the Godfather series. The first two at least. I haven't seen the third one in Chinatown. Movies that don't waste a second of your time. And this movie's just fuck Kurt Russell... Walking around graffiti streets with fires in the background, it sucks, man. It's a waste of talent for everyone that was in this movie. Uh, John Carpenter can do better, I know. It's just a bummer. It's a bummer. This movie's a 3. This movie's a 3 out of 10. That's what I'm giving it here on Clear Dented Classics. Yeah. And last but not least, I'm going to do my recommendation for a movie that I've seen, but maybe nobody else has seen. And I hadn't really thought a whole lot about what I was going to recommend for this, but... I think I came up with a really appropriate recommendation to the point where this might be the first movie I'm recommending that actually kind of ties into what I watched a little more appropriately than anything else I've recommended. I kind of thought about it, and in Bruges and Seven Psychopaths tonally aren't really the same as the Godfather movies, but I mean, what is the same as the Godfather movies? I just wanted to recommend those movies to people, so fuck it. Hopefully you went and watched them, but for the purposes of this movie and my recommendation, I, I think there's a really appropriate movie that's kind of a one-to-one comparison. And that movie's called Doomsday. It's a little bit hard to find because Doomsday is such a term that's hard to search for stuff. But Doomsday film, if you type it in, it's it's a film from 2008 written and directed by a guy named Neil Marshall, uh, the same guy that directed the movie uh, Centurion that had Michael Fassbender as the lead, which is also a movie that I recommend. I think that movie's really cool too, which that movie ironically has something in common with Escape from New York and that Michael Fassbender runs through the woods a lot. Kind of like I was saying about fantasy movies. But Neil Marshall, he's a really cool director and writer. He directed the the episode of Game of Thrones where the ships come in and they set off the bombs and it's really cool. He's, he's, a, he's a great director. But there's a movie he made in 2008 called Doomsday starring Rona Mitra, who some people might remember as sort of the, uh, if you've ever watched the Underworld series, She's the past version of the Kate Beckinsale character. Um, they, they look very similar, but I think Rona is great, and I really, really love this movie. It takes place in a world where this epidemic has swept across Europe, the whole world, I believe, and to the point where they've walled off Scotland, and supposedly no one exists over there, and suddenly they get this indication that maybe there's somebody 
running around over there. So they send Rona Mitra in with the team. Um, her contact back in Europe is Bob Hoskins. Again, rest in peace. I fucking love Bob Hoskins. Framing Roger Rabbit is one of my favorite movies of all time, too. Uh, but she goes in and she finds out that there's a lot going on behind the Scotland Wall. It's not just a barren wasteland. There's these two distinct groups at war. It's post-apocalyptic. It's really great. I don't think a lot of people have seen it. I recommend it to people all the time, and I really, really like it. And I, I got to say, having watched Escape from New York, I'd watched Doomsday 10 times before I ever popped Escape from New York back in the DVD player, which is saying a lot because I fucking love Kurt Russell. But, yeah, that's my recommendation. I, th I think they have a similar tone to them. And Neil Marshall's a great director. And do yourselves a favor and check it out. I think especially, especially, if you tuned into this episode, which... God bless you if you're still listening to me at this point. If you tune in, in this episode and you actually really do like Escape from New York, I bet you'll fucking love Doomsday. And if you don't really like Escape from New York, you still might like Doomsday because it's better. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I have no problem saying that. Maybe I'm nostalgic about Doomsday. I watched it when it first came out. I thought it was great. But that's my recommendation. So there you go. And that's going to do it for me. I've been your host, Jake Baker, here on Clear Tented Classics. I thank you so much for joining me, and I will catch you on the flip-flop later. I don't think saying it like that's going to do me any favors. It's still a terrible way to end the show, but thanks again. Bye-bye. <laughs>